Morning, church. We've been in a series called Family Matters, looking at how we can have our families, whatever that looks like, whatever our role in a family is, how we can have our families centered on Jesus and His principles for our life. And today, I want to talk about something that may seem like it doesn't apply to some of you, but I want to talk about it in a broader sense. Today, I want to talk about parenting, but even more importantly, I want to talk about leadership. Because the fact is, every single one of us lead in some way in our life. I mean, some of you lead your own life. For the most part, most of you chose what you were going to wear this morning, right? Most of you chose to get up and come to church today and worship Jesus. That's leadership in your own life. But then you look at your, uh, the other areas of influence that you have. In your workplaces, in the places that you go, in your friend groups, with your children. We all have leadership opportunities in our life. And I think it's so important for us to learn how to do them well and do them the way that God has intended for us. But I want to look at that through the lens of parenting today. And I was this week going through my phone, and I don't know how many of you have Google Photos, but Google Photos likes to bring up memories of things that have happened in my life. And I love it because it brings up stuff that I haven't thought of in so long. And there was a moment this week where a picture got brought up, and of course it brings with it an amazing story. There was this moment when, many moons ago, when we only had one child, and my son was, uh, he was just under two, and suddenly there's this moment where, where my wife is doing some painting in the house, and she's kind of letting him kind of play around the same room, because, you know, there, there's plastic everywhere, so if he makes a mess, it's not a big deal. And I'm in another room, and all of a sudden, I hear a blood-curling scream from my wife as she screams, No! Don't eat the paint! And suddenly... I got to take this picture. I I still don't understand how he how he saw that and just thought I'm not just going to eat it. I'm just going to. I mean, it's just it's amazing to me. And what that reminds me of is this: in parenting and kind of in leadership and life in general, sometimes it can feel like all you're doing is going from one crazy moment to the next crazy moment. Like any of you who have any type of a leadership role in life, how many of you kind of feel like sometimes your day is just one fire after another that you're putting out? Anybody ever feel like that? Absolutely. See, it's so easy in everyday life, but especially in parenting, to get caught up in the moment. To get focused on whatever crazy thing is going on today. But the thing is, as my wife and I have sought to learn to be the best parents that we can as we've talk to people who are older than us and much wiser, as we've read books from amazing people, one of the things that I have found is that great parenting comes down to visionary leadership. See, so often what I find as, as I talk to parents is that they, they, great parents lead with a vision for their kid's life, doing things intentionally today so that they can be in a certain position down the road or have certain things down the road. They have a vision for their kids' lives. But so often I think parenting can actually feel, instead of like leadership, it can feel like reactionship. Like you're just reacting to the latest crazy thing that's happened. But it's amazing as I study how many parents that 
have great kids or have certain things that turned out in their kids' lives, it's because they did things intentionally in a certain time that you saw fruit grow in the kid's life. For, for instance, Tiger Woods' parents. When he was about two years old, they put a golf club in his hands. And he turned out to be a halfway decent golfer. Another parent I admire is a woman by the name of Susanna Wesley. She had many, many kids, but with all of her kids that she was actually able to raise, each each and every day she'd read the Bible with them, and then once a week she would take each of her kids, sit down with them, and have an intentional conversation about how they were doing spiritually. And two of her sons, John and Charles Wesley, went on to be a part of a movement that swept across Europe and eventually came to America. It was a big part of the reason that we're here today, because of the revival that God worked through them. See, what I've found in life is that leadership is never about where I am right now. It's about where I want to be. And parenting in the same way isn't about where my kids are right now, but rather who they're going to be. And the hope is that we're not just raising healthy kids today, but that we're raising eventually healthy adults who love Jesus and have their priorities straight. And the thing is, to do that, that involves some visionary leadership. A great definition of leadership that I heard that I love is that leadership is about empowering other people as a result of your presence and then making sure that that impact continues into your absence. Helping have an impact with the fact that you're here, but then when you leave, making sure that impact continues. Because see, the thing is, in our world today, we love systems that rely on us. I mean, think about that for a second. How many of you have been in a position anywhere where you're like, you're the linchpin. You're the person where if you don't show up to work, nothing's getting done. How many people kind of like that? Anybody? Right? It's great. I mean, it feels good when it's like, yes, I am the reason that productivity happens. Nothing happens without me. But the problem is, in the grand scheme of things, all the best leaders I've ever seen are people who are able to empower others and actually work themselves out of a job to raise people up after them. And the thing is, I think that's the opposite of the goal of parenting. Because see, for my wife and I, our goal is not that our our son and our daughter will say please and thank you because we're there reminding them, even though we're there right now, every time it seems like. We don't want our kids to brush their teeth or have good manners or love Jesus because we're there with them. We want them to eventually grow up, right? In the same way, you know, I, I didn't have my mom coming by making sure I brushed my teeth or took a shower or played nice with my friends. But I did all those things, for the most part. But see, even more so, my mom wasn't reminding me to read my Bible this week, or to pray, or to love Jesus. But I did all those things. Because my mom and my dad had an impact in my life that continued on, even when they were absent in my life. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see this highlight reel of amazing moments. We see so many cool things that Jesus does, but then what's crazy about Jesus is that he spends so much time intentionally pouring into just a few people. And then he goes to the cross, and then he goes to these 11 people, and he says, I'm going to 
give you the Holy Spirit, empower you to go out and spread the gospel all across the world. And these disciples go out and they create disciples who create disciples who create disciples who create disciples. This is why I think discipleship is so key in the church. Discipleship is simply helping to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. However you want to say it, it's walking with people to help them grow closer and understand what it means to actually follow Jesus. And I think that personally walking with people and whatever that looks like, whether it's a life group, a youth group, and one-on-one conversations over coffee, intentionally leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, discipling them, I think is one of the most important things in the church today. I think it's the most best thing we can possibly do for the next generation. So many people talk about the next generation, which finally, I'm not the next generation anymore. When I first got into ministry, I was the young guy. Now I'm almost 30. Now there's a new generation coming out. And the thing is, one of the best quotes I ever heard on looking at younger generations is from a guy by the name of Grant Skeldon. He says this, he says, If you're not discipling anyone, will you please refrain from criticizing the next generation? See, I, I, can't, I don't have a lot of room to talk if I'm not intentionally walking with someone. If I'm going to talk about a generation or a group of people, if I'm not willing to sit with them and help them know what it means to follow Jesus, then I don't have a lot of room to talk. See, we have enough butts and seats in our world today. We need more disciples, more fully devoted followers of Jesus, because I believe that's how we change the next generation. That's how we change our communities. That's how we change our world. And the thing is, that starts right in our own homes. For any of us that have kids, we have an opportunity to lead our kids, lead our families, to help them become fully devoted followers of Jesus. But see, when we use that word lead, I think one of the things that we often mess up is there's a, there's a paradigm that sometimes we get into. Sometimes we get in this place where we think of our kids as something that we own. Like we think in terms of ownership. You know, I was doing some math this week. My son's about four and a half. Seems like my wife just told me that we're pregnant. And I was like, great, I got nine months to figure out how to be a dad. And I'm still trying to figure it out. My son's four and a half, which is a quarter of 18. I'm a quarter of the way through the time that I have with my son where I really have any semblance of control. What I am realizing is that I really don't have that much control, but I've been given a gift of time with my son where I get to invest in him. I've really tried to move away from this idea of ownership and really look at, at my son as someone who I, who I am an ambassador to. Bible says that we're a part of the kingdom of heaven, that we're citizens of, of God's kingdom. We're aliens and foreigners and strangers. And really, my job as a dad, our job as parents, if we are followers of Jesus, is to be an ambassador to our kids, to introduce them to the kingdom, to introduce them to Jesus, to introduce them to what it means to follow Him. One of my favorite examples of this is in 2 Timothy chapter 1. There's this moment where Paul is talking to Timothy. And he's addressing him, saying some great things about how he's been praying for him day and night. And he goes through this great greeting, but then he says a sentence that I absolutely loved. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived 
in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. I don't know much about Eunice and Lois, the grandmother and mother of Timothy. I mean, they could have had some great contribution we don't know about to, to philosophy or art. But as far as I know, they didn't have much in their life that really carried on after them. Except for one thing. They passed on a faith to the next generation, t- teaching them what was most important in life. Who then passed it on to someone else, who passed it on to Timothy who was a part of something that changed the world. He was with Paul going all over the world preaching the gospel. They had an impact that lasted beyond their years. They left a legacy that was absolutely incredible. And that's something that I want to talk about today. How do we parent our children well? How do we lead well in our lives to leave a legacy? And the first thing that I think is so important is this, especially in parenting, if we're going to parent to leave a legacy, the first thing we have to do is teach them what's important. I I don't know how many of you would agree with this, but sometimes, especially in my home, I get mad about things that aren't actually that important. Would anybody admit to that as well? Right, you you, you just blow up about something. And you realize that was, that was not that big a deal. I heard a quote this week that really broke my heart from Paul Tripp. He says, Think of how little of your anger as a parent with your kids in the last few months had anything to do with God's law. So often I think of that and I go, Man, I, there's a lot of things in my life that I get mad about. Right? Because it inconveniences me as a parent. Or it's that thing of, you know, Hey, no yelling. Whatever it is. But how often have I had my heart broken or become righteously angry when when my son is doing something that's just against God's law, that's going against who God has called him to be? How much of it is about me and my own personal things? Am I actually teaching my kids what's truly important in life? In Proverbs 22, it says, Direct your children on the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. It says in Deuteronomy, Fix these words of mine. In your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth." Moses tells the people to teach their children by having reminders everywhere. By teaching their children when they lie down, when they get up, when they're walking, when they're sitting. You know what that kind of says to me? Kind of like all the time. I mean, that pretty much encapsulates the entirety of the day. And the thing is this. The greatest classroom in the world is when we're sitting at home, having a meal, when we're driving to the store, when we're sitting in a hunting blind. 
The greatest moments to teach are just those average, everyday moments of life. You know, my parents taught me a lot of amazing lessons in life, but not one time did they precede one of those lessons by saying, hey, listen up, this is going to change your life. Actually, they probably said that at some point in time, but it didn't do much. Because it was the moments of average every day that changed me. It was the moments of driving to the store in the car and having a conversation about what's most important in life or having a conversation about the Bible. It was just sitting in a hunting blind with my dad and all of a sudden the conversation goes from trivial things to some really important stuff. We start talking about sin and how to repent and how to follow Jesus with everything. And the thing was, that wasn't the first time any of those conversations were had. It just happened to me that that was the moment that it stuck with me. I once heard a leader talking about casting vision in organizations. And he says, you know, sometimes there's moments as a leader where you, you say something, and you say something, and you say something. And he said, what I have found in my life is that that moment where I just feel like if I say this one more time, I'm going to throw up myself. So obviously, no one else wants to hear it. Because I'm sick of hearing it. He said, that's the moment where somebody comes up to you that's been you know, with you for 10 years and goes, I've never heard that before. That's really cool. Because the thing is, repetition is so important with adults, but especially with kids, being willing to continually bring up things, bring up who Jesus is, bring up what's most important in life, because the things that you repeat... Show your kids what's most important. Secondly, as we teach our kids, we have to not only teach them what's important, but we have to teach them the reason why. You ever had a moment like that? Where your parents say, don't do that. And you say, why? What do they say? Because I said so. And there's some good moments of that. Sometimes as kids, man, you got to learn. No, mom, dad says it, do it. But at the same time, something that can happen is that we can get to a place where our kids know what not to do, but they don't know the reason why. Teaching our kids why is so incredibly important. I remember for me, as I was growing up, there were a lot of pastors, church leaders, Sunday school teachers, that would talk about alcohol and drugs and they would talk about alcohol in a really funny way. Because they would be like, listen, drinking isn't fun. They'd say stuff like, listen, you're just going to throw up. Or you know, you're, you're going to get hung over and feel terrible. Or they say things like, I tried it one time and it was horrible. Or they, they would do this one, the really big scare. I don't know if you ever, guys ever had this in school. They'd be like, the really big scare. Like, listen, you're going to have one drink. And then before you know it, you're going to be addicted and homeless, and pregnant, and dead. Like that, it really escalated quickly. Where did that come from? You know, I remember the first time I, I got, uh, got drunk as a teenager. I woke up the next morning, and the first thought in my head was, wow, they lied to me. That was fun. I didn't surely die. This fruit tastes great. See, what I didn't understand was that there was a deeper issue at play. What I didn't understand was that I had had a hole in my life. A void, if you will, 
where I'd had this constant need to like fit in and please people. I had anxiety about social situations because I didn't know, man, how do I talk to people well? Do I say the right things? What should I say? What shouldn't I say? I had issues with my self-esteem. I had these thoughts of maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe people don't like me because I'm, I'm not this or I'm not that. Maybe if I was more like this, I, 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 the people would like me more. Well, all of a sudden I found alcohol and I was like, this stuff's great. I don't care about any of that anymore. I say whatever I want to. I don't care what anyone else thinks about me. If I want to say something, I just say it. Got me in trouble sometimes. But I suddenly had this thing that I thought gave me freedom at first. The problem was that it was fun for a while, but eventually I found it wasn't that fun in my life. It wasn't that fun having something that I had to run back to every time I wanted to feel good in my life. It it wasn't so fun having something that was literally, at times it felt like the only thing that made me happy. And what I ultimately didn't understand was that I was trying to temporarily fill a void in my life that God wanted to fill with his presence. I was trying to temporarily fix something that God wanted to make an everlasting fix for. See, God wanted to take my need to please people and replace it with a need to please only him. And here, well done, my good and faithful servant. He wanted to replace my low self-esteem with finding my identity in Jesus as a son of him. He wanted to replace my anxiety with perfect peace. See, it wasn't that I didn't understand that sin was bad. It's that I didn't understand that Jesus wanted to take my whole life. That he wasn't keeping anything from me, but he had everything for me. It's something that I I think so many kids need to hear today is that it's not about just don't do these things, but it's understanding that a relationship with Jesus will change everything. The author Stephen Covey talks about when you say, it's easy to say no to things when there's a stronger yes burning inside of you. In the same way, when I say yes to Jesus, it empowers me to say no to other things in my life that aren't what he's called me to. In Colossians 3, there's a pretty well-known passage where Paul writes, Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the, right, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. What happened? You died. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. See, what I found in my life is that parents and even people in our own lives will often try to reverse the order of this verse. They try to reverse it. They try first in their child's life to put to death, therefore, whatever is of their earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, smoking, drinking, all the things. They try to put this stuff to death in their kid's life without understanding that that's just a fruit of you dying yourself and being raised with Christ. See, 
you got to be raised with Christ first to have that work in your life. So often, though, we want to fix it. We think we can kill the things in our kid's life that don't look like Jesus. Like, maybe if I just smack them hard enough, they'll finally get it. The problem is, you can't change your child's heart, parents. You can't change that person's heart that you're walking with. Fact is, we can't change anyone's heart. But I know a guy. And his name is Jesus. The greatest thing we can ever do as parents, as as anyone in life, is to introduce people to Jesus. Because he's the only one that can really change people's hearts. Lindsay Bell writes it this way. She says, the goal of parenting isn't to create perfect kids. It's to point our kids to the perfect God. The greatest thing we can teach our kids is how to follow Jesus well. The second thing I think is so important for parents is not only to teach what's most important, but to model what's most important. In John 13, after Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In Philippians 3, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Paul actually writes six different times to imitate him or do as he does or follow as he follows Jesus. question for my life I often try to ask is this. Am I worth imitating? Like, if you follow me each and every day and do exactly as I do, will you draw closer to Jesus or further away? If I were to follow you around, do everything you do, the same question. Do our kids see Jesus in us? You know, as I ask myself this question, I have been asking that ever since I became a parent especially, God's not really convicting me on things. That's the way God works. He never just goes, hey, yeah, you got it. Man, he's encouraging. God gives me so much encouragement through his Holy Spirit and identity in him. But whenever I really ask God, okay, how do I become better? Then it's like, oh, here's the way. Oh, shoot. I thought it was perfect. He comes and he says, begins convicting me on some things I was doing in my home. He started convicting me on, uh, I guess we'll call them adult temper tantrums. I don't know if any of you have ever had this issue where like a tool doesn't work and it feels like the best way to fix it is just to throw it across the room. Anybody? Just me? You know, or like that moment where like, you know, you get in a, in a fight with an inanimate object. Like you, you stub your toe on a chair and your first reaction is to fight the chair. Stupid chair. Show you. I kicked it and somehow I'm punching it. I'm abusive towards inanimate objects sometimes. You know, eventually one day God, I think right after one of those, God started to convict me going, is this what you want your son to see? Because I realized that that was all stuff I was trying to teach my son not to do. Like I'd go and and have conversations with my son like, son, when we get angry, we don't throw things. God would be like, "Uh uh-huh. Hey, when we get mad, we don't hit. You don't need to yell. Just say how you're feeling. God just kept convicting me. Yeah. What does your son see every day? 
Oh, yeah. Thanks. See, it's so important that we ask ourselves, what are people learning by looking at our lives? In Matthew 5, it says, You are a light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gets light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'll tell you the good news. As followers of Jesus, we have a light that just shines out of us. People will start to come up to you. If you're following Jesus, they'll just go, man, why are you so, like, I don't know, just different. There's something different about you. There's some great, like, a presence that comes out of you. You're so nice. You're so kind. You're so loving. Thing is, as followers of Jesus, our kids will start to see a light in us. Light is attractive. Light draws people's eyes. The problem is, the light of Jesus creates light in us. So do dumpster fires. So, so, do, so does your, your television screen. There's a lot of lights and shiny things in our world, and especially a lot of lights that are trying to grab your kids' attention, parents. A lot of things that are trying to draw your kids in. So the question is, how often are they seeing the light of Jesus shining out of us? How often are they seeing Jesus in us? How important is following Jesus shown in our life? How, how much is it? How much are we showing that to our kids? You know, growing up, I was involved in like ten different sports and activities and other things. My mom and dad would spend hours driving me around to those things. Now, of those sports, can, can anyone take a guess at how many of those I went pro in? Let say, yep. Zero? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Heck, you would take a guess at how many of those I was even good at? Also zero. My, my, my parents invested a good amount of time. It's good. I mean, it's good for my, my coordination. Didn't work. But, you know, it's good for development. It's good for, for team building. But the thing is, my parents invested a, a little bit of time in that, a, gr- a good amount of time. But they spent even more time taking me to church, Help me read my Bible, praying with me, taking me to church events, taking me to youth group, whatever it was. They spent so much more time investing in that. And I would say that investment paid off a lot more for them. See, where we direct our kids and how much time we invest in, in helping our kids do the important things in life says a lot to our kids about what we think is most important. If we spend all of our time with taking our kids to sports, but we don't have time to actually help them get in the Word or pray or talk about Jesus. And eventually they're going to go, okay, that's the most important thing in life. Not church. I mean, yeah, we go like once a week, maybe once a month. But I never see it lived out throughout the rest of the week. You know, according to Barna, among millennials who say that attending a church service is not something that's personally relevant to them, the number one reason that they do not see a personal relevance, is that they don't see a connection between Sunday morning and Monday through Friday. The thing is, where do kids see that connection? From their parents. The fact is, we have to practice what we preach. Do our kids see us go to church? If they do, do they see us living in the power of God throughout the rest of our week? Is church just a club that we attend? You know, my dad took me to many clubs that he was a part of. 
you know, things like rotary and other stuff like that. And the thing is, he also took me to church. He took me to church and rotary club. And I'll tell you what, I only go to one of those things today. And the reason being is because I go to the one that I saw actually change his life. Rotary club was great, but I didn't see it do much life change in him. It was church that I saw do something in him. You know, Charles Spurgeon writes that a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers will accept his practice and reject his preaching. Fact is, how we live our lives is incredibly important. Modeling to our kids is incredibly important. Modeling to our kids, even in the imperfection. Modeling how to fight well. I love what it says in Philippians 2. Where Paul has this moment where he kind of almost seems to contradict himself. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or with fear and reverence is another way of saying that. With worshiping God. And then he says in the next verse, For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's kind of like we sang a little bit ago, I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord, but it's my job to fight. I'm still called to, to fight the fight, relying on his power more than anything else. And in the same way, I'm called as a parent to show my kids what it means to fight well, to continue to get in my word, to continue to put on my spiritual armor every day, to show my kids what it means to fight against temptation. My goal is to show my son what it looks like to be on the internet and not be addicted to pornography. My goal is to show my daughter what it means to have relationships with people and not gossip and slander. My goal is to to fight the fight well for my kids, but I know there will be moments where they see me completely and totally blow it. And can I just tell you, the most important thing you can do as a parent is show your kids how to mess up. The best lesson I ever learned from my Christian God-fearing parents was how a godly man, a godly woman, completely and totally blows it and how they react, how they repent, how they make it right, how they ask for forgiveness, how they seek God first, how they pray, how they change habits in their life. The best thing I ever learned from my parents was not how to be perfect, but what I learned was how to follow the one who is perfect. The most important thing you can model for your kids is how to love Jesus first. Even in the, point, in the moments when you mess it up, because we all will. My kid's four and a half, and I probably already have a, a sheet this long of moments. I've completely and totally blown it. But what I hope is that my son doesn't just remember those. He also remembers the moments where I come to him and say, Son, your behavior was wrong, but my reaction to it was wrong too. I love you, and the way I reacted was completely out of proportion. I'm sorry. I hope he remembers what it means to repent well. We're called to teach our kids what's most important, to model what's most important, but finally, we're called to pray for our kids, which is the most important. The most important thing we can do for our kids is to lift them up to God and say, God, I need you right now. B.J. Thompson has a quote where he says that the greatest sign of arrogance is not boasting, but a lack of prayer. 
Any time in my life where I'm not praying about something, I'm saying to God, listen, I've got this. I'm being a little bit arrogant in that moment because I'm believing that I can handle it on my own. I love what it says in 2 Timothy 1.3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Romans 1, he writes, God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God. You know, something I have realized in my life is that God cares more about my son, more about my daughter than I ever will. So why wouldn't I go to him first? Why wouldn't I come to Him first before I try to fix it on my own? Do I go before God's throne before I get on my phone and start calling people or go on my phone and start researching how to fix a four-year-old? How often am I going to God and bringing my son, bringing my daughter and say, God, show me how to be better. Give me wisdom like your word says you will give to anyone who asks. Show me how to be better. Convict me. Shape me. Mold me. You know, I I mentioned earlier that when I was about 18, 17 years old, I I struggled with alcohol, drugs, lust, and pretty much making all-around stupid life decisions. Like, it was just an all-around gambit in my life. And... My parents tried to help me in two different ways. My dad tried to kind of forcibly correct the steering wheel of my life back on the road. You know, just kind of reach in. And, you know, that's a, that is a great tactic sometimes. Sometimes we need that. But unfortunately, I was 18, which means I knew everything. One day, my, my life goal is to be as smart as I thought I was when I was 18. But my mom had a little bit different tactic. My mom prayed for me a lot. And she prayed and she prayed. And there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know she knew that she was praying to God about. Like a lot of stuff that she's like, oh, yeah, I knew about that. Oh, okay. I told God about it. Okay. My mom kept praying that God would break my heart, that God would draw me closer to him. She, she kept praying that God would protect me and keep me safe, even through all my stupid decisions. And God answered all those. God drew me back to Him and showed me what it looks like to have a relationship with Him. After I got to this place where I was just so broken, I was just done with everything. God reminded me of what it means to be a child of Him and showed me how to my, have my identity in Him. and It was amazing, but I, I credit my mom so much, and my dad both, because they both prayed for me so much and loved me so much, brought me before the one who can truly change my heart. And what I love about that is that my mom prayed for me because her mom prayed for her. When she got to that age and and started kind of getting out there in life, now apparently my grandma's a better prayer than she is because she kind of turned immediately and started following Jesus. I don't know what happened there. But I love that, that My grandma prayed for my mom, God protect her, help her, help her to to love you first. And then eventually my mom prayed for her child, the same thing. I just want to encourage you that if you're praying for a child right now that doesn't know Jesus or is kind of wayward or is kind of making all around stupid life decisions, 
Can I just encourage you, don't give up, don't keep praying, don't stop praying. Continue to bring them before God because they're the one who can truly change a heart. They're the ones that can truly take your child's heart and take that heart of stone and give them a new heart, like the Bible says. I want to encourage you today to give them to God day in and day out. And don't stop. Maybe as we close here today, I want to encourage you to ask yourself a question. Man, what am I teaching the most? For you parents, what am I teaching my kids that's most important in life? For for those of us that maybe aren't parents, what do you teach people around you? What do you model to your kids? And what do you model to everyone around you? Because maybe if you look at your life and you're like, I don't think I'm the best model. I'd love to encourage you. One of the best ways to, to model Christ better is to, first of all, give everything to Christ if there's something that He doesn't have in your life. But second is to get around godly people. Get people to disciple you, to help lead you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Whether it's someone one-on-one or someone in a life group. Whatever it is, I just want to encourage you. To, to be open to the Holy Spirit's prompting today. As we bow our heads, I just want to invite us to open up our hearts and say, God, anything that we're being convicted of today, any area or maybe we don't look like you, would you just help? Would you strengthen? Would you fill? Would you help us take things out that we don't need anymore and replace it with what you want us to have? God, for the parents in the room today, I just want to pray a blessing over God, I I pray for each of them that their kids would see Jesus in them. That your fruit and your joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, self-control would come out of them in a way that makes their kids divinely curious about who you are. God, I pray for all of us parents that the areas that we don't look like you, God, would you just help us to look more like you? God, for any of us struggling with addiction, with sin in our life, God, help us, first of all, to repent and give it to you right now. But even more importantly, God, help us to show our kids what it means to repent well. God, thank you for who you are and how you're working in this place. And would you just do something in us that goes into the rest of our week? Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.